In Revelation, in the last book of the Bible, oh, just, this, just to prove that we did actually get there. This is the Torres Strait, okay. we, we were there. Uh, I took the photo, so. In Revelation, the last book in the Bible, John records a vision of heaven where seven angels will sing this song at the end of this age. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Did you notice that in heaven there will still be nations? We'll be united in Christ, but something of our national differences will continue. Uh, perhaps our languages will continue, although we will be able to understand each other as a Pentecost. Uh, our cultures will continue the things that make us distinctive as nations. Of the many drums that accompany our songs to the Lamb of God, there may be a warrant although ours is temporarily out of action as it had an accident. Anyway, that'll come back. Uh, when Christianity arrived in the Torres Strait on the 1st of July, 1871, it helped Torres Strait Islanders become renewed Torres Strait Islanders, not remade Europeans. And the same happened from 1788 onwards through to the middle of the last century when the Aboriginal nations of the mainland received the good news of Jesus. Christianity is culturally versatile and translatable into every situation, beneficial for all people and relevant in all circumstances. God loves the Yadaki, which we call the Dij, and clapsticks as much as he loves organs and guitars. Today we celebrate with our Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters, the coming of the light when, on the 1st of July, 1871, some London Missionary Society missionaries first brought the gospel to the Torres Strait. God had been revealing himself to the indigenous people of Australia for over 60,000 years, but now they knew him as Jesus and heard his teaching and his offer of salvation through the sacrificial death of Jesus, a sacrifice for all people, all nations, a sacrifice of death on a cross. The London Missionary Society with Melanesian leaders landed on the shores of Arab or Dali Island and introduced the Bible to the people who lived there. God was on both sides of the beach that day and had been there since time immemorial. It is an impressive story. The people were initially wary of the strange ship and white people, but clan elder and warrior Dabab was curious. He greeted them on their arrival, ready to defend his land and people. Dabab walked to the water's edge. There, the Reverend Samuel McFarlane dropped to his knees and presented a Bible to Dabab. Dabab accepted the gift and interpreted it as 
the light. Pause that thought for a moment. And just imagine what it was like for Jesus' disciples in our gospel story today. They, with Jesus, had just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. A mighty miracle had been done, and now they were on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had gone up onto a mountain to symbolically be closer to his heavenly Father. A strong wind was blowing, probably from the north, right off the snow-capped Mount Hermon. As the wind was against them, they could not use a sail if they had one. They had to row. And any one of you who's rowed a solid wooden boat into the wind knows that it's not easy. Uh, I was once on a, a tinny uh, near Woiwoi with a friend when we ran out of fuel. Uh, we had to row about six kilometres back to Kilcare against the incoming tide, and it was hard work. We're told... Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Now, can we just get rid of any naturalistic interpretations that Jesus was walking in very shallow water or, or on a sandbank? The Sea of Galilee is 43 metres deep, and these people were not stupid. Some of them were local fishermen. If the water was shallow, they could have got out and pulled the boat. And if Jesus was walking in very shallow water, they would not have been completely amazed and terrified and started to link this miracle with the miracle that they had just witnessed of the feeding of the 5,000 that there was something special about Jesus. That's why it's in our Bible. For some reason, their hearts had been hardened at the first miracle, but now they had another one. God had not given up on these hard-to-convince disciples. Uh, in March 2014, Carl and I went on a study tour of Jordan and Israel. Uh, Carlin was doing her double diploma in Christian studies and pastoral care. I was a very interested plus one. When we got to Galilee, we stayed on a kibbutz on the southwest corner of the lake. This picture was taken from the shore where we stayed. Uh, I was stilled by the profound sense that Jesus may have walked on this shingle beach. On the first night, our tour guide, Karen Sawada, a professor of archaeology at the University of Sydney, told us we would be going on the lake the next morning on a small boat. Karen asked me if I would lead a short service on the boat the next morning, as we were all Christians, although I think there was one Jew with us. This is what it looked like from our boat. I chose the text from Mark's Gospel as the reading for that day. After Carlin had led us singing a few hymns, I read the passage and then looked out on the water. And we thought, Jesus once walked here. A number of us shared later that we'd felt a shiver go up the backs 
as though Jesus might suddenly appear and walk across the lake to us and to our boat. He'd, he'd done it once. It all seemed so real. I remember it as if it was yesterday. It was a very special moment to think, this is where Jesus, the, the, the creator of the universe, the, the God who loves me, once walked. Uh, Jesus didn't appear to us that day in person, but we certainly felt his presence by the Holy Spirit. And that makes me think of what it would have been like for Dabab and his family and tribes as they went down to the water's edge on the 1st of July, 1871, and saw a strangely dressed man kneel down and hand him a book, possibly something he had never seen before. And I see the link in our passage today where, where Jesus' disciples were terrified at the sight of Jesus walking on water, but then they realised that it was Jesus. Uh, and when Jesus is with you, you don't need to fear. Uh, and actually, that's what happened on that 1st of July. Dabab went down to the water's edge. He could have taken arms with him, spears, arrows, but, but no, he, he went down there without his weapons. And the missionaries came ashore without weapons and kneeled down as if they knew that God was with them and with God with them they didn't need to fear. I can't help but think that Dabab knew something special was happening. Certainly he and the others who over the coming months heard the stories of Jesus from that book and chose to follow him recognised how special that was. All the generations since then have recognised how special it was. The coming of the light is a public holiday in the Torres Strait. It is accompanied by a week-long festival. Carlin and Larissa and I joined Uncle Bear there last year and we had a very moving church service and then a wonderful festival of food and music and dance that evening. They knew how special it was when, in a sense, Jesus, by the word, appeared over the water on the 1st of July, 1871. So special it's worth celebrating every year. I'm told this is the only place in the world where the arrival of the gospel is celebrated every year. Jesus, the light of the world, had come across the water and they were amazed and delighted. There are reports of the difference the gospel began to make in the lives of the Torres Strait Islanders. They were notorious for being headhunters, and there was sometimes conflict between the islands and Papua New Guinea, which is just to the north. But all the reports say that after 1871, peace came to those islands. The Reverend Canon Victor Joseph said, the best thing it brought is that violence began to cease among the islands. Peace. These visitors to the Torres Strait Islander were welcomed in peace. The tribal leaders called for no weapons, receiving them in peace, open to what they were bringing. That's his report. 
Auntie Macro's Elu recounts a story of when she was a child asking her father, why are they talking about the light? Weren't our people already in the light? Why are they saying it was a coming of the light to the Torres Strait? She goes on to say, they explained to me it wasn't in the way of thinking that we were in darkness, that we came out of darkness into light. It was like them bringing the light to us and we bringing the light to them. And we also tell them we have a light in our own surroundings. We have a spirituality. We have things that we believe in. While the good news of Jesus came on the water, the offer of peace and friendship and sharing the deep knowledge of Torres Strait Islander wisdom and spirituality came back across the water. What was it that amazed the disciples on that boat? Uh, walking on water is a, is a pretty good party trick. Uh, as I said last week, God loves a good prank. But I suspect it was more than what it pointed to. This Jesus was not bound by nature. He was in control of his creation. While they and we would have sunk, Jesus floated. While they and we would have drowned, he lived. While death on a cross would do us in, it could not hold Jesus down. They saw Jesus continuing to explain by his miracles what the kingdom of God would be like. No sickness, no death, no hunger, no excessive accumulation of wealth and power. And now with a king totally in control of his creation. What did Dabab and his family and tribe find amazing when the book that they were presented with was read and explained to them? That the creator of their seas and islands and sea life and them knew and loved them. That he wants them to live in peace with him and with each other. That their care for each other could become care for others as well. As they expressed the love they received from Jesus, the light of the world who had come across the water to them in love. That their spirituality and worship could now have a more definite focus on Jesus, the light of the world. In Jesus' day, many Jews treated the Samaritans and Syrophoenicians as their rivals to occupy and dominate the same strip of territory. But Jesus never regarded the Samaritans and the Syrophoenicians as aggrieved interlopers who needed to build a bridge from their fractured past. Rather, Jesus built a bridge towards them by treating them as either people worthy of his healing or as living parables of the faith that he wished Israel would emulate. As I've reflected back on the sermons that I've preached from here, the one that stands out to me is the one of Jesus meeting the Syrophoenician woman when he is just amazed at her faith. And he, he uses her, a non-Jew, as an example of what faith really looks like. In the coming of the light, God built a bridge to people he, kn he had known and loved since time immemorial, and a bridge for love and wisdom to flow back across 
You have to be extraordinarily arrogant to think that there is nothing for us to learn from the Indigenous people of Australia, for they have been taught and inspired by God for over 60,000 years. It is this coming together before God as he finally reveals himself that is captured in the words I started with today. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. That's what we look forward to. Indigenous and non-Indigenous people coming together to bow down and worship Jesus, the light of the world. As Uncle Ray says, all he wants to do is to come here and call God his Father. And we can do that by the grace of God and by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's sing of that light now.